You're listening to Tone Benders, the sound designer's podcast. Let's do this. Welcome to Tone Benders. I'm here with Teresa Morrill. Hey, Tim. And we're here with Sam Girardet. Hey. Uh, and we are at Game On. And yeah. we're just outside uh, the mocap studio, right? Yes. So, uh, do you want to tell me how you guys uh, got to Game On and what you guys do here? Well, I founded Game On in 2002. Game On was started as a recording facility into video games. Our primary focus was uh, dialog recordings and post-production for games. The room we're in right now appears to be a gathering place, a meeting boardroom maybe. Do you want to lead us into the mocap room? Yeah, sure, sure. Hey everybody, this is Tim. While Sam leads Teresa and I to the mocap stage, I wanted to give you some context for this interview you're about to hear. Teresa and I went to Montreal at the end of 2018 and interviewed a bunch of great sound people in that city. You may recall our episode 83 with the sound team from Arrival or episode 98 on Big Little Lies or even our episode 79 selling sound effects round table. Well, for some reason, this interview with Sam from Game On never got released, which is a shame because it might be one of my favorites from the Montreal talks. So we're putting it out now. So just remember what you're listening to, this talk is now two years old, but I still think it's a really interesting interview. So now let's walk into that mocap stage. This is super cool. Welcome to our stage. Describe for the listeners what we've just entered. Yeah, you're entered in the uh, former TV station uh, studio. We're in a room that is 36 foot high. It's quite impressive as you can see. We do have lots of acoustical treatment. For a room this size, there's very little slapback. Early reflections are, are very little. Right now, we're standing our, uh, our standard uh, rubber mats. And when we do ensemble recordings, walla, or full performance capture, we put carpet. What projects have you guys worked on? Uh, with this space, we worked on mostly video games. Mm -hmm. uh, we did Race, and then uh, lately we did the Murder of Orient Express. Oh, cool. This space is, um, is great because it's an it's amazing sandbox for sound, but also for obviously for animation, for mocap. So the walls are all black and completely covered in treatment. What is that treatment? It's a treatment that it could use for uh, insulation. And the reason why we're using this one is that it's code. It's not going to set in fire, so yeah. uh, it's secure, but also it gives uh, a bit of absorption that we were looking for. Talk a little bit about the video game industry in Montreal. It's been growing since the 90s. People will say, hey, Ubisoft uh, made it happen. Uh, there was a former company, uh, they're celebrating their 25th anniversary this year. It's called Behavior. So they were really the first, the first guys in town. And then the Quebec government did a pretty sweet deal with Ubisoft in 97. And Ubisoft is the key reason why we do have a, a strong hub today. I think Montreal history is about like technicians, technology, creative. So Montreal had this amazing technological platformy. We, we have soundstage for film for, for years, right? So it's a good mixture. And then throw in all the universities, throw in all, you know, the researchers and all that stuff. And I, I mean, the video game industry just enter in that era. And then subsidies, talent, good location. We're right in the middle of Europe and the West Coast or even Asia. So it became a, a great hub for video games. So do you guys work with Ubisoft a lot? Uh, Ubisoft is the kind of company who has the resource to have their own facilities now. Yeah. So, you know, they grew tremendously, right? 
We participate on over 50 plus games with them. Wow. So who are you working with mostly now? We work with a lot of international clients, actually. I would say 75% of our projects are coming from all around the globe. Our, our main clients are studios between 20 and 150 employees. They don't necessarily have that internal capacity of the services that we offer. Let's talk about those services that you offer. So when you're doing a lot of mocap in here, do you want to talk about how sound capture is different with mocap? Um, there's no camera, right? There's no like defined angles necessarily done during the stage. So the perspective of dialogue is not taken care of during the shoot. But since we're doing games and the perspective can change like immensely, yeah. can be edited or you know revamped. Mm -hmm. So we need to have like very neutral dialogue. We use labs, we use the DPAs because they sound as close as our miking situation in, in our recording studios mm -hmm. that we'll see later. For us, it's very important in the game engine that we can match what we're doing. Uh, we're not in the film industry here. We're not into doing 100% of our stuff in, into ADR later. Mm -hmm. So we don't, we try to not go into ADR. It's not because we don't like doing ADR, it's just the fact that games are huge. They're too big in terms of dialogue. So labs, um, we don't do really boom miking unless we do have a client requesting it. We have better control, right game structure for every actor. So we're following the script even on the mocap stage. So we can anticipate what's gonna, what's gonna happen, right? There's a lot of dying in video games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of bodies flying. And do you use uh, like time code sync? Yeah, so we come from audio, right? Uh, and audio is always the challenge to get something frame accurate. You know, they will start shooting in 24 and then finish it in a different frame rate. We have a master clock, we have a gen lock, we have time code of the day, and this is going through every little piece of equipment on the mocap stage the audio rigs, facial rigs, mocap, video reference cams, and they're all running the same time code. What frame rate do you use? Animation for games is 30 frame based. Pro Tools is, is fine working in 30. Mocap system is performing really well. Actually, it works on a uh, base of 30, 60, up to 120. So yeah, most of our recordings are done 24, 48. That's the base standard that we should work with. Our workflows and pipelines are able to follow metadata of every little pieces with the same time code. So when we work later in post, we can do uh, auto-conform that works right. properly. Mm -hmm. And right. you do like take, 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 or you roll a day and then it kind of... Oh, we'll do takes. Yeah, we'll do takes. takes. We run, uh, we're running with chat lists one and then two and then three and we'll, we'll have alts and different you know different alts but adding up more characters you know the oh, scene right, yeah. the good thing is we don't have any perspective you don't need to shoot at 3 a.m in the morning to get the sun the sunrise mm -hmm. there's no costume there's the mocap suit yeah. but it's you know it's basically that podcast right now you don't see myself and you just hear <laughs> to it so yeah, exactly. it's kind of uh it's kind of this right so yes the video reference will film you know for the animators but we're gonna damp our props so no less resonance it's more an approach it's like of anti-foley almost like <laughs> instead of making yeah. having everything make noise you're trying to make nothing kind, make noise kind right? of yeah mm -hmm. yeah you don't want to get those footsteps mm -hmm. on the rubber mat <laughs> you know it doesn't Unless you're doing a scene on the rubber mat, right? Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> In which case, it sounds perfect. It's amazing. <laughs> From what I understand, you guys were recording studio first, right? Yes. And then you branched out into the mocap. Six years so ago. Yeah. I feel like 
every other company in the world does it the other way. Yeah, I mean, I think what we've seen in the industry in the past is the other mocap stage, they bring up like contractors, contracting uh, facilities or, you know, individuals to, to get their audio. And then you need to try to figure out how you're going to interact and get the same time code. But I heard lots of bad experiences with syncing. Nightmares, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we, we took our, our audio approach and expertise and really built it around that process of doing motion capture. There are two teams working together, you know, all year long. Audio is important to you, not the side thing that you have to deal with. It's tough to get people to understand that the audio is just as important as the rest. So I think it's really interesting that you guys come from that side and bring that to it. It's also kind of cool that, like, from an actor's perspective, one company, they come in, they shoot their stuff, then they go to the audio studio, and they're uh, looked after. I think it's, it also impacts our, our casting process. We're doing internal casting here. We're casting house as well. We can have talent in, in the VO booth, or we can have talent here. And then we have the opportunity to see so many people, so much talent. We are also working with Actra with workshops, so like getting training. It's just like capturing performance means that there's a performance involved, right? We say capturing creativity here, so we need those creators with us, but we also need to support them. I have very limited experience in video games. I did once cover for someone who is doing voice recording for Watch Dogs. And uh, I've done a fair amount of ADR recording, done lots of narration recording, and it's, okay, well, let's, yeah, maybe try that one again. It was like, I couldn't hit record, fat, like the pace of it, because we had 400 lines we had to do a day. I can't remember the exact number, maybe it was 300, but a lot of lines to do a day. Not what I was used to Welcome at all. to our world, and, man. Like, you guys, are badasses, pardon my yeah. French, but like to do that on a daily basis, obviously you get conditioned for it and you get yeah. used to it. And there's, I've learned different workflows as I did, I did three days in a row and the first day. You were sweating, right? Like, yeah. I was literally sweating and I also just left depressed. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like maybe I got to get a new job like this. <laughs> I was holding on yeah. for dear life the whole day. Yeah. And then by the third day, I was pretty much fine, but it was just such a faster pace than television works that right. it kind of melted my brain. Yeah, well, send, send, you, uh, send us your resume. So. <laughs> it's all about timing, right? Dealing with humans or anyone. We need to be refining this process all day. We do have the chance to be a full integrated solution, and it changed the talent perspective and the client's perspective as well. So it's not just like a whatever guy who comes in and do his audio. And because we're responsible most of the time for our post, for mocap and the audio, it's very serious. It's super important. Well, do you want to uh, head over to the other studio now? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Cool. Let's do it. You own the studio, but are you a recording engineer as well? Yeah, my background is a recording engineer. I graduated from a uh, school called uh, Recording Arts. I arrived after this in Montreal doing about a year of freelance. And then after freelancing on different gigs, I knew that I wanted to do uh, post-audio as opposed to recording or, or TV productions and stuff like that. So in addition to doing sound for games and the mocap, you're also doing versioning of games for different languages. Do you want to talk a little about how you got into that? Yeah, there's a law here, right, <laughs> about the dubbing. If you're the film release in theater, you need to be having a French dubbing version dubbed in Quebec. This is driven by a, a Quebec, govern, you know, Quebec government law. 
So yes, there's a lot of dubbing. Well, historically, there were there were a lot of dubbing even before that law. Red Band is a tool that we use, and we even use for ADR. I have a feeling that there are a lot of people that never work in dubbing. When the person's in the booth, they're looking at a like they would if they were doing just narration or anything, a picture of the screen. Yeah. But below that, that the dialogue is actually passing by a stationary arrow, exactly. and they're speaking, and it, that band is moving in sync with how the person's talking. It's not a steady pace. No, Someone exactly. Says, like that used to be done film synced with a clear piece of film that you act, someone actually wrote on. This is way back in the day. Yeah. Now your software does it. Yeah. Can you talk about how you get the software in sync with the picture? You go through the same phase, but now they're digital. So you go with detection. Mm-hmm. So you will you know, spot check where the dialogue is happening and then you will see where the, the mouths are, are happening. And then we have parallel team of translator and adapters. Their job is just to do a technical translation, then we're going to put this Excel spreadsheets with Ritmoban, with our detection, and then we're going to basically edit. So that's done manually? Yeah. 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 Well, there's a first pass that is automated. Yeah. yeah. But obviously, it's not quite, you know, perfect. So it depends on the level of lip syncing that we need to do. Um, is it on cam? Is it off cam? Are we just looking for timing? Video games, there's a lot of different type of dialogues. There's the cinematics, there's the scripted event. We do have the in-game. We have like NPCs, non-playable characters. There's a lot of dialogues that is, are, are going to be tricked because you are poking that person or shooting that person or, you know, interacting with something. So dialogues in a game is, 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 is live. It's interactive. And that's the way the assets needs to needs to be built, and those assets are, are, are then synced with the animation of the game. It's step, another step, and another step, which is totally different from a linear program like film, mm-hmm. which is what you see is what you get, and you print your mix, and you're done until further pickups. Why don't we talk about the gear that you have in the booth? You guys mentioned that you use the same DPAs, but you also yeah. have, uh, is that a Neumann up there? Yeah, yeah TLM-170R, uh, yeah, a large capsule mic. Same mic pre's, it's all the same, the same idea all the time. Because video game assets like dialogue needs to be constant. The same distance of the mic all the time. You know, when you start a project, you want the same specification. And both studios are matching, so we can have both studios running for the same project. Or we can do pickup session in a different studio and it's fine, so. Talk about some of the games that you guys have worked on. Uh, We worked over 240 games that they sold over 350 million copies. We did a lot of Ubisoft games in the past. So the Assassin's Creed franchise, Far Cry franchise, the Rainbow Six franchise, Watchdog. And then over the years, we went, you know, different genre. We, we worked with lots of local developers like ADAS Montreal, Warner Brother Games mm-hmm. Montreal. Typically, we have 15 projects running. 15? Yeah. Wow. Like different projects running at the same time from pre-production, production to post-production phase. So there's always like lots of, lots of stuff happening. Yeah. We work with Chinese companies. We work, uh, we do sound design with Tencent. We, we do tackle very different games. Some are very narrative. Some are purely action or some are a bit of both. Obviously on the dialogue part, there's a lot yeah. of dialogues involved. Uh, yeah. Narrative games of I think for the last ten years, narrative games have been driving, you know, the and pushing the bar. I think the approach of me be more sophisticated 
in terms of script, in terms of writing, in terms of possibilities. There's two types of clients that we see, two types of projects. The one that they are driving a script and then they're focusing on, on developing game mechanics and the game itself based on the story. And then you know, the other one is like, oh, I have this cool concept and then we need to write a story behind this. Are they more about game design or are they more about storytelling? Storytelling needs a good storytelling team. I think our job here is, is can be as good as the script can be. This conversion here about like the the creative world and then the technical world, we're not really into equipment. We don't publicize what type of equipment we use because for us, like we have a standard, which is, I think, very high, but we're not into trying to flash about what kind of equipment we use because for us, it's the baseline of supporting performance capture. When we were planning to take this trip, I had a good idea of who I wanted to talk to in the film and television side, but everyone said that you guys are amazing because of the amount of work you're pushing through. You have a workflow that is unique, I think. Do you want to try and talk a bit about that? To be honest, the reason why this process has been so productive, it comes from a reality of lack of time because when I started it, I was like one guy. You know, you start not going to uh, friends' dinners and then to your family's birthdays and then and you become to not really have a social life. I'm a very social person, but at the same time, I was, you know, I had like professional engagements. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a big, a big milestone in my life, uh, professionally, was when Pro Tools decided that we can swipe your all your bin into your tracks, and it was creating like single tracks, oh, yeah. and then from the timeline from left to right. This for for session preparation, it was like a day of saving. Where it was saving eight hours, ten hours, uh, you know, for for that operation. With all the games you guys have worked on, do you guys know how many lines of dialogue you guys have churned out of this place? The last data was about 5 million, uh, 5 million lines of dialogues uh, in like 23 different languages. That's yeah. a really big number. Uh, you mentioned that when we were talking earlier that one game you did 14 different languages versioning of. Is that on the high-end scale or is that a normal? Yeah, this, this, is a, this is more an high-end scale. I think the, the, the baseline now, you know, for, for years... It's five languages, so the U.S. and then the figs, we call it, French, Italian, German, Spanish. And then emergent markets like Brazil, so Brazilian. We have South America now, when this Castilian Spanish is not very suitable for them, so Latin American. Russian became, for some games, that they will aim this market. I'm talking, thinking about the first-person shooter. They're, they're huge fans of this, so Russian became more of a go-to language. And Chinese, traditional Chinese, uh, Japanese. So it's all, it's, the, the languages are really about which, you know, which market they're going to try to... Uh, Get the game in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and you do casting for those languages in Montreal? No. We're going to do French and English in Montreal. We're going to, even for, for English, we're going to cast like all across Canada sometimes to get, you know, the talent or we get U.S. talent coming from the States. When we do localization for different uh, languages, we work with partner studios and we use like local talent, you know, local Germans, as opposed to trying to do it in Montreal, which is, it's it's sad, but sometimes we we have producers asking like, oh, can you take that actor that's going to do the three languages? Uh, that's no, that's not no. gonna happen <laughs> uh, unless it's a temp thing for a presentation that it's not to be released and you want to save costs. But in terms of quality, like 
even, you know, I'm French Canadian and even my English, I wouldn't feel good with being, an, well, I'm not even an actor. So that's, 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 that's <laughs> the whole thing anyway. Thank you very much for taking part in this. This has been really awesome. I've learned a lot and I loved seeing that mocap scene. It was so cool. I've never been in anything quite that big before for that purpose. So it was really cool. So thanks. thanks for taking the time. It was great meeting you and we'll uh, cool. be in touch. Thanks guys. Thanks for coming. Hey everybody, that was an awesome interview with Sam Girardin from Game On Montreal. It is always great when we get to hit the road and actually interview people in person. Cuts back on the sound quality of the interviews a little bit because everyone's going off mic because they're laved, but still worth the effort to go see people in their environment and kind of hear about where they work while we're in that space. We want to send out a massive thank you to longtime listener David Weaver for volunteering to edit and mix this episode. David was a joy to work with on this. Mr. Weaver is a sound designer, audio programmer, and re-recording mixer working in Melbourne, Australia. You can track him down via his website, scowlingowlsound.com. That's a great name, come on. Or on Twitter at dweaveraudio. You can track down David through links on our webpage for this episode, and also find links to Game On site. Thank you very much for hanging out with us today. We'll talk to you soon. Film Bitters is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to ToneBendersPodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening.